I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Carl and Daly, thank you both so much for coming on to ADHD Chatter. This is... uh, I haven't done an episode like this before, so I think it's going to be super interesting to the listeners. You're both deeply involved in the world of policing. You both have ADHD. Um, You've both got some interesting backstories. I think it would be good to start there with your own personal stories. Carl, how would you say ADHD has manifested in your life? Hi, Alex. Um, Yeah, thanks for having us, first and foremost. Um, You know, the opportunity to speak about ADHD is a, a massive one especially on this platform. Um, so yeah, just a little bit about myself. I've been a police officer for about 13 to uh, 14 years. I've had a variety of roles. So I currently work supporting students, uh, new police officers and ADHD. I, I was basically diagnosed last year, at the age of 31. I, I'd reached a, it's quite a difficult point in my life. I'd had a few injuries at work and I used to ride horses in the police and I fell off, got hurt. My symptoms went through the roof. Sort of looking back now, a lot of things in my life made sense. I was, I got into some sort of difficult places being unwell. I ended up at Beachy Head once and Sussex Police took me down because of wanting to end my life uh, and sort of finally get my ADHD diagnosis, being supported properly for ADHD, sort of changed my life around and then made a lot of sense uh, why I joined the police. You know, the police attracts people with neurodiversity and, and, you know, things that happened in my life as a child now make more sense. My ADHD has actually been, there's been points where it's very difficult. And, and now now that I've been diagnosed, as I, as I mentioned, a lot of things make more sense. And I'm sure daily allude to when you know that you've, you know how your brain works, you can, you can work with it as opposed to against it. And, you know, I was grateful to meet daily and, and be part of the ADHD Alliance. And, and now between us, we trying to change things in the criminal justice system and then also for, for our colleagues and it, the, the awareness of ADHD is, is we're nowhere near where we need to be yet so um, yeah I'll, I'll pass over to Daly at this point. Thank you Alex for having us like, like Carl said um, yeah no I um, first got told I probably have ADHD back in 2014 um, I was seeing a counsellor 
after the breakup of my first long-term relationship and um, I don't know if anyone's ever been to counselling you think you're going to go in and talk about one thing and you end up talking about everything but when I was talking about some of the things I struggled with that counsellor said it would suggest I would suggest you sounds like you have ADHD and um, being classic ADHD I didn't do anything with that information even though um, even though it made a lot of sense to me for sure um, I actually left policing and took a job outside of policing uh, back in 2017 and I can look back now uh, through the prism of being diagnosed and understand that a lot of the struggles I had is because I had undiagnosed ADHD I went from a structure and a system that I understood and kind of could navigate around to one that I couldn't and those struggles were too much for me so um I ended up effectively getting, well, for want of a better word, fired from that job, um, which didn't help my already rather poor self-esteem. Um, I chose to come back to policing and um, eventually got around to getting diagnosed with ADHD in 2021 via the Right to Choose uh, scheme. I just saw some friends talking about it on Facebook and uh, got in touch with them and asked them what it was about. Like most people don't seem to have necessarily heard about it. Um, best day of my life I'd say the day I was diagnosed because as I say the biggest man of you know fat, negative for me was 36 years of my life I genuinely thought I was an idiot genuinely thought I was lazy genuinely thought I was incompetent being in situations where I didn't understand things that everyone else did all that kind of stuff um a year later, I got diagnosed with uh, dyspraxia, which again <laughs> made a tremendous amount of sense, certainly in terms of my uh, some of my more sort of physical movement issues and fine motor skill issues. Um, it was a little galling meeting a load of people with ADHD, all massively creative types who were incredible like artists and stuff. I'm thinking, uh, yeah, mm. nope, they can't do any of that. So the dyspraxia massively helped with that. But what we found is after I'd been diagnosed, there wasn't really any support within policing. So it was quite, there was an autism support group, there's a national autism support group, but there was nothing for ADHD and I'd gone along to the autism meetings and they're lovely, wonderful people, uh, but their stories didn't relate to me. And so I, I kind of like, well, this, is, this is pointless and me and a colleague decided, well, we'll sod it, we'll, yeah, classic ADHD, we'll just do it ourselves. And so mm-hmm. we set up the ADHD Alliance, which, you know, started off um, primarily as a support group and that's how I was lucky enough to meet Carl in one of our first ever coffee mornings we had uh yeah. it was a memorable day for me because i accidentally double dosed my meds so um yeah. that was the uh, part the nice part of the day i remember but yeah no as carl said you know you can't have adhd and work within policing and not see some of the massive issues within the criminal justice system and we've kind of begun trying to dedicate ourselves to trying to make those changes so we wear a welfare hat from a support group but we also you know want to see real change um in 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 the criminal justice system in society thank you both for for being so honest um and you're absolutely right you know especially with your story carl it it you know it took you to get to a point of real crisis mm-hmm. before it was it, it was even mentioned and i'm i'm similar to me i'm 34 and I've, it was sort of just picked up in the last six months with me so it's so relatable um, and it's, it just highlights the issue you know it, it takes sometimes a person to get to the point where the ADHD traits are causing such chaos yeah. uh, or they're just feeling completely hopeless or useless because they can't do certain things in life that you know they could reach a crisis point and that takes them to 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 the 
awareness of ADHD. So so relatable. And and obviously you're both in the in, in policing and um, you're doing huge amazing work to raise awareness in 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 that area. What do you think ADHD the benefits are to someone in policing? You go first, Carl. This is, this is how ADHD people aren't going to interrupt each other. You go first. Yeah. Well, you know, classic classical form for ADHD. I go into a meeting like this and then a podcast and I have so many ideas and exactly what I'm going to say. And then I get to speak and it's like, ah, oh, it just went, ooh, all gone. But it, oh, it comes back. You want, it, no, it, it comes back. It comes back. Um, so, yeah, the, the thing is, um, it, just neurodiversity as a whole, I was having this conversation earlier, is that neurodiversity allows people to think outside the box and in the people that are the most you know innovative you know look at this like Elon Musk for example with Tesla and the, the the people the people with neurodiverse conditions see the world a little bit differently and this is what this is why it's a benefit to policing because instead of looking at everything the same way actually someone can look at a, a problem say robbery and go right actually let's try it this way let's see what we can do and that that will help solve crime, reduce crime. If we're championing neurodiversity as a whole, then we're including vast amounts of people in society. We daily can allude to is that we've been to events where people have stood up and gone, oh, well, the police didn't treat me very well. But actually, well, if you'd put someone with neurodiverse um, life experience in front of them, then actually their experience might have been a little bit different. Instead of being arrested or searched in a certain way that led to a complaint or caused a really bad experience then actually that might have been different and people with neurodiversity uh, or, or police officers like for instance i can speak from my point of view of adhd is that i thrive on being in environments where there's high intensity high paced you know making decisions like that so the best person to send into a room where it's all kicking off and people need to make life-changing decisions or life-saving decisions it's potentially someone with ADHD because they're like, yeah, game on. My brain's loving this. Neurotransmitters fire up and it's like, yeah, we'll bring it on, you know? And, and that's why that could be the difference, you know, that that person will enjoy, you know, driving fast, running after people or just on the flip side of it, you know, away from the adrenaline of the job, actually people with neurodiverse conditions are incredibly empathetic and they understand the people that, you know, we deal with every day. You know, if I go and speak to someone on the street, we have got incredible justice sensitivity in the sense that we want to fix a problem. And I think that's led to, to where me and Daily are now is that we're kind of, right, we see a problem, we really, really, really need to fix it. And the ADHD Alliance as a whole and the, the incredible people that are part of it are just like, no, we need to change this now and we will do it and we will commit to doing that change as if it was happening yesterday, you know, that, that mm. quick. It's like, right, please, please make that change. Um, so you'll get an incredibly honest person that will work tirelessly to fix an issue. Uh, yeah, no, thanks, Carl. Um, that was very eloquent. I don't really have a great deal to add in terms of uh, in terms of sort of strengths. I'm I'm very much a firm believer that you know you hear a lot of people talk about their neurodiverse condition as a as a superpower, but I think it's only a superpower when you actually sort of understand your brain and kind of how it works and that, you know your 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 ADHD traits. Um, since being diagnosed, I kind of get uh, what I'm sort of good at and 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 am I able to sort of work with my brain uh so like I sort of said around the ideas I think I have more ideas in a single morning than most of my team do in the entire day I just now know that I have to I have to record them and and, and you know actually do something with them most of my academic life has been spent 
doing all of my work last minute because I work very, very well under pressure. So if someone's given me, you know, something to do and says, you know, we need to get this done nice and quickly, which is often the case in policing, be you in a sort of a customer, uh, in a sort of investigation role where you're running against the pace clock or, you know, on, or out on the street dealing with a situation. I think that is a, a massive strength. And, you know, I think the particular traits of ADHD actually draw people towards emergency services work, not just policing because of those, you know, um, because the, the, the strengths are, you know, needed, even if they're not, ne you know, necessarily directly sort of advertised for, um, you know, that's the sense of structure as well that comes within a job um, like policing or the emergency services, you know, we, we, we thrive in those kind of roles. So yeah, that's what I kind of, would say I, mean, I think you both hit the nail on the head in terms of you know the some of the strengths of adhd and how they can clearly benefit a job like policing sort of sort of being mm. able to potentially see patterns and think on your feet and be a problem solver you know, lateral thinking as well yeah mm. if the police officer has adhd and, and they're dealing with an offender who has untreated adhd do you think there's like a, a catalyst and a, a synergy there for him to be a bit more understanding of the situation i i, I certainly I, i'm i'm in the unfortunate position that ever since i've been diagnosed i've not been in a frontline kind of role as such I've, i do a lot of um a lot of training and a lot of um reviewing of other people's work but i certainly now if i had someone because as a detective my role was interviewing people and speaking to people and i think if i was now sat in front of someone in an interview room and i either suspected they had a neurodiverse condition or they told me i would be immediately doing things completely different i did an exam last year um a promotion exam and i was allowed a break in the middle of it because it was recognized there's no way in a million years i'm going to be able to focus for three hours and that was very kind of the exam board but if i was interviewing someone and it was a long quite complicated allegation and there was many facets to it i would be thinking well i need to break this up i need to make my communication clear i need to give this person a break and it's the same if i was taking a statement from a victim i won't go into specific offenses but certain offenses you would want to be speaking to a victim for quite a long period of time and again allowing them to maintain that focus allowing them sort of you know to communicate in their way what's comfortable for them even considerations like you know the room we're using for these sort of things i don't think a lot of um police real estate was designed with neurodiversity in mind so i've sat in some rooms with some horrific lighting or rooms that overlook a busy high street or things like that you know so i i i think that level of understanding would massively change the way i go about doing things now a hundred percent just to follow that up is that I, I went to a support group the other well, probably two weeks ago now and part of that group was members of the public so it was like a parents and those with adhd or without adhd can come and ask advice etc and the organizer of the group um asked me to come and speak to them and share my story and how the police are trying to change support for neurodiversity so i went there and then spoke to them and you know one person in the room had been in prison 15 times whereas someone else in the room was you know 70 year old um, person that had been drinking all their life. So these are people that were like, why have I, why have I, why have I done this all my life? Why, why have I ended up in prison? You know, so I, so I was able to speak to them and share my story and, you know, something I didn't touch upon at the beginning because my brain was all over the place and um, I've forgotten is that, you know, I, I've had quite a few issues with money and uh, drinking. So I was quite a, a, a impulsively spending money. So I got into a lot of debt when I was younger 
and I'd impulsively buy things all the time. I was drinking a lot of alcohol to try and make myself feel like that lull and that buzz of or that warmth of, of, of alcohol. And then I got to a point where I was hiding it from my partner. Um, I became very reliant upon it. And and I sit and I, I told the people in the room this, you know, I told them, this is my experience. This is what ADHD has done to me as a, as a police officer and how it has caused me some really big difficulties in my life. And I recognise that on the flip of a coin, if I wasn't in policing, I could quite easily have gone to prison. I could quite easily have been, um, you know, in no job. Do you know what I mean? Like I could, I, the, 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 the traits of my ADHD um, and the symptoms that cause the, the biggest issues in my life can drive people to criminality as well. And this is the thing. If we can share that we understand why you're doing these things, if I can, I can sit in a room with someone and go, I know why you've drunk alcohol all your life and explain it from my point of view. They'll go, oh, okay, all right, so you get it. And then we see this with our support group. We've got hundreds of members across the country and we've spoken to thousands of people between us. Nearly, nearly 500 now, yeah. It's mad. Yeah, <laughs> and, and these people that we speak to sometimes have reached crisis point as well where their employer doesn't understand. Maybe their family doesn't understand, their partner might not understand, and the only people they've got are us. So they come to us and go, can I have some help, please? Because I'm really, I've got, I don't know where to go. And you sit in a room with them, no matter who they are, whether they're in the criminal justice system or our staff, that element of being able to have that communication is life-saving for some people. And that is what we see, you know, we can see in society. I've, I mean, Carl's touched upon it already when he was talking about his own story. I, I, the amount of people I've spoken to have effectively said I would not be here if I'd not been diagnosed. It, it's remarkable. And I can completely get that um, 100%, you know, uh, touching upon what, what Carl sort of said. The amount of people we meet who will come along to one of our support group meetings and they say, oh, I, I thought I was alone. I thought I was genuinely the only person who was going through these, you know, emotions and, you know, these struggles. And then you're in a room of people who actually go, actually, no, that's literally what I went through. I, I understand where you're coming from. No, that's not stupid. No, that's not ridiculous when you say that, when, you know. And that's the kind of level of understanding we like to sort of have for the public we kind of, we serve. And I think, you know, we'll probably, I'm probably jumping ahead of myself. This is why neurodiversity awareness training should, you know, you'd like to think it would be mandatory uh, across across policing. Um Carl's touched upon it already for the benefit of our staff because you know a lot of the things I have learned around my ADHD I've had to find out for myself or find out by blunder and doing things but you know we don't want that to be the case and then and most importantly the people were actually you know trying to help on a daily basis be they people who have been accused of crimes or be they people who are victims of crimes or witnesses of crimes you know the criminal justice system is a scary scary intimidating process for, for the people with the hardest hardiest of constitutions it's been terrifying for me when i've had to go up and give uh, evidence in a box or you know and um, be put through that process i can't imagine what it's like for someone who has a um um you know an undiagnosed neurodiverse condition or even a diagnosed one because you know it's not this isn't i I don't think I, I'm going to say anything controversial here. I don't think the entirety of the criminal justice system, be that policing, be that the court process, be that probation, mm. be that prisons, is geared yeah. to necessarily understand and assist the neurodiverse individual. When I say neurodiverse, my primary knowledge and concern is ADHD, but, I, you know, it's all neurodiversity. Um, yeah, so 
that's why it's so important i i just to like share an anecdote i i, I was in a legal case uh, i've been in the witness box it was a three-week trial and i had to be this was before i knew about neurodiversity or my adhd and this was sort of when i was drinking and i, I can see how, how it can clearly um get you in trouble with the law um i found myself in the back of a police car during that stage of my life um i had to be chaperoned from the courtroom to my hotel because the person my friend didn't think i was not going to be able to not drink due to the the process i mean so how do you think that system could be improved for someone who perhaps has a neurodivergent condition and and having to go through you know a a cross-examination in court for example i mean start of a 10 is just your basic neurodiversity awareness training uh so in lieu of forces not actually having training one of the things that me and carl literally do on an almost weekly basis is deliver awareness presentations so i think we've delivered awareness presentations to i think between us most of the police different strands of police forces in in this country but just you know there's so many stigmas and misunderstandings especially around adhd and especially at the moment with everything that's been going on uh in the in the press you know it's a kind of a case of even just being able to spend half an hour with someone and sort of say look this is what this condition is this is what it looks like and this is what it does and because this is what these you know traits are these are the considerations that you have to make when you are dealing with that person in whatever capacity you're dealing with them and that's true of policing but that's also true of the the, the court system I, i've seen people i've seen witnesses cross-examined for up to hours and it's brutal and as, as i sort of said already like when i have when i've done you know processes since being diagnosed sort of um, exams and interviews and things i'm allowed to have breaks um i advocate for myself now if i'm in a team's meeting that's going on too long i just put my hand up and say i'm going to take a break guys <laughs> I've, I've completely lost all focus so that empathy and understanding first and foremost um and, and then the knowledge to, you know, that someone in front of you has different needs and may need a leg up to be able to fully engage with the processes we're expecting people to go through because they're hard for a neurotypical person let alone mm-hmm. for a neurodiverse person who you know doesn't necessarily um you know get the support required sorry carl i rambled on there you want to <laughs> chime in no no i'll follow on from a point you made just a, a moment ago where you said about lighting in a um lighting in a room still that too much stimulation and things like that and, and there are police forces across the uk and, and that are making those changes and mm. you now i've spoken to some of them and they've held a review into how they do certain processes so that might mean that they turn the lighting down in cells it might mean that they give them stim packs to give them uh, something to do Mm. and things like that which are essential to making sure that someone's comfortable you know it's an experience that that yes we deal with people every day but that person in that custody cell might be that be the the worst time of their life and that's yes they might have committed an offense but what we can do is if if we can cater for the way that they um the, the way they are that may lead to people being assaulted less. So if a custody, um, you know, a DDO, a, a detention officer, uh, goes up to the wicket of the cell and asks them how they are, if they've been trapped in a cell for 12 hours and literally just been left to basically get on with it, it's no, no you know, it's no, no coincidence that someone then lashes out 
and, and we can reduce the amount of people that are, you know, uh, are having these experiences where one, someone's getting hurt and two, someone can, we can put them through this, the criminal justice process in a better way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it benefits all involved, less people being hurt, less people, um, you know, if we can diagnose, uh, not diagnose, screen for ADHD, which I'm sure we'll touch on as well, then what we're doing is we're actually trying to prevent that happening again in the future. So all of these things lean to a better experience whilst in custody and and better evidence, better communication from the suspect or whoever you're speaking to. This doesn't just apply to suspects. It applies to everyone we speak to. You You know, like Daly said, some of the interview processes are long. They take a long time. So um, overall, we will get overall the experience of everyone involved will be better and it will reduce crime in the future and um, enable people to, to actually have a better experience as a, as a result of it. I mean, what Carlos is saying there about fidget toys in a cell, it sounds almost twee when you say it like that. But as I'm sat here now talking, I literally have my own fidget toy and it calms me down. And I can't imagine being stuck in a room with no means of stimulation for 12 hours. I would probably lash out. And it seems it's I think when you have knowledge of ADHD and conversely neurodiversity these things seem like an absolute no-brainer and you know Carl very kindly and correctly there said you know we're not saying all forces aren't doing this there have been initiatives I think Nottinghamshire Police literally designed a police station to be more autistic friendly Mm. and I think there are things on the side too yeah and but it's not happening quickly it's and Mm. you know and it's almost as if they you know Penny's dropping, but the penny's dropping very, very slowly. And, you know, I got to go back to that point. It blows my mind that neurodiversity awareness training is not part, mandatorily part of any police officer or police staff's training. It, it, I think that's insane, but there you go. Um, I think it's insane because I've got ADHD and dyspraxia. Do you think if, if there aren't accommodations and alterations and little changes put in place in the rooms where people are being questioned or... Um, wait the way they're waiting uh whilst the detective speaks to them do you think if they're in a state where they're feeling overwhelmed or super anxious but they might not be making it obvious i mean does that sort of take away the credibility of perhaps what they're saying i i, I mean I, I i would i would argue that we wouldn't want to interview someone who was intoxicated through drugs and alcohol would we I think it's not unfair to say that if somebody was at the kind of worst part of their, you know, uh, neurodiverse, and I keep using neurodiverse, but like I know how I get when I get uh, overstimulated or, 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 you know, understimulated, I shut down. Are we going to get the best evidence or the be- or the fairest evidence for that person? I'd argue not. I, I, you know, I, I'm not saying it's quite the same as someone who's pissed, for want of a better word, but we're not far off, are we? And, you know, let's just say I've been arrested and they've had no consideration for my medication. I take um, my ADHD medication every morning. Some people obviously would do split doses and that sort of thing. Well, if that wasn't considered or aware, I'm not getting, you know, I'm not on the level I would normally be at. So, I, I, yeah, I think, I think you are certainly putting at risk um the processes and those sort of things um yeah for sure I, I certainly think it raises questions and we want and the whole point of 
you know policing and an investigation is that we should be fair and as impartial and you know don't uh, and as, as possible and I would argue that we're not necessarily doing that if we're not having these considerations. This might be, um, it's just a thought that came onto my mind now. I didn't plan mm. on asking this, but just the way my th- the thoughts are going is, would like if, if a suspect, say, who perhaps had, who was autistic or had ADHD or, or others, and they were being uh, questioned in an environment where their accommodations weren't put in place, like, would their representative, council, legal, be able to use that in their defense in some way or in their to their favor i would i mean i would suggest that if they had raised it so they are going into the cussy saying look i've got adhd the lighting you're using that room is making me i'm very uncomfortable i'm having an absolute sensory overload here and it was ignored then yes i would suggest that anything like that would be i do think and this is the problem with undiagnosed conditions of course I do think there is a certain onus on the person to maybe, you know, make those representations. And that's not me having dissing, you know, the detained person at all. But I, I guess, it, it, you know, there might, might be a little le- a level of personal responsibility. It does actually lead on to another point, um, Alex, which is a lot of uh, a custody um, booking in procedures. So very quickly, um, when you're arrested, you will go through a process with the custody sergeant or the person booking you in and you're given your rights and entitlements and they run through a risk assessment and that risk assessment will involve a, a series of questions i know forces a lot most of the forces i've ever spoken to do not have any neurodiversity specific questions so you might be asked about mental health and you might be asked about disability but you speak to most people who've been diagnosed with adhd are you disabled and they'll probably say no do you have a mental health condition no i don't and that in itself is a is a concern. So how can we cater for someone's needs if we don't even actually, you know, considered asking those asking those questions? Um, so, sorry, that was a bit of a rambling answer to uh, your quite simple question. Sorry, Carl, I butted in there. No, 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 it's fine. They're good, they're good answers, Daly. And then I think I think this comes back to how our knowledge of neurodiversity and the training around it and and the the processes that are in place and you know i don't know if this is your experience alex but when you go to court no one will probably ask you about those things um you know and that's that's why we need to change the processes to accommodate that you know like daily said square peg in a round hole actually no what we need to do is we need to ensure that we include the questions we include everyone in that risk assessment in the sense that we we don't just narrow it down to do you have a mental health condition? Okay, let's ask something else where we establish, do you have a neurodiverse condition? Do you- or suspect you have one, yeah. Or suspect you have one, you know? Yeah. And these are the things that, oh, okay, I had that training two months ago. They told me that they've got ADHD. Right, what do I need to do now to consider their needs? That's quite, you know, quite an easy process, isn't it? Right, I've got, I've potentially got ADHD. Okay, right, what can we do to make things a little bit more comfortable? whoever that is. And that's, I don't, I suggest that doesn't cost a lot. It doesn't, it's quite easy to implement. Um, but yeah, that, that's, we can't just keep going down the same road and expecting a different result. Do you think a lot of people, I, I don't know the, the data, perhaps you do, like how many people that, that get arrested know that they have a neurodivergent condition and they're just living undiagnosed, unaware, and that's potentially why they've got into trouble in the law, with the law. And the sort of follow-up question to that would be there's another benefit there right 
for the officer or the te detective to have that training so they can spot it perhaps and say have you thought that you might have adhd and that's the reason why you're yeah, here that's burning daily's time that one that one in relation to screening so i'll let you can continue uh, no, it's, it's it no it's it's all good um so i'm just thinking about the first part of your question there statistically it's hard to give specific numbers on people coming into custody because we're not recording the data much like we're not necessarily most hr processes from policing aren't actually recording whether their own staff have a neurodiverse condition slightly different you know point but it is relevant the official government statistic about people in prison with neurodiverse conditions with adhd specifically is one in four which is quite a large number, but many, many industry insiders, people with a lot of lived experience and knowledge of working with prisoners and working within prisons would put that figure at as high as 75 to 80%, which is astronomical. I would suggest quite a lot of people are passing through um, the criminal justice system are unaware that they have ADHD. Um, and Carl mentioned it earlier on, ideally we should be considering screening for I'd certainly say ADHD in the first instance and I am happily explain why specifically ADHD but you know ideally all, all neurodiverse conditions the reason I think ADHD is the one you want to screen and uh, people a lot of people who agree with me on that is because I think as Carl's alluded to and you yourself have alluded to Alex already it's the traits of ADHD when left unchecked and untreated and unmanaged are the ones that can get people into trouble. So that impulsivity, that emotional dysregulation, that sense of justice. And when we talk about sense of justice, it's a great strength to have a sense of justice, but equally, if I feel wronged, how am I dealing with that being wronged? Well, you've wronged me, my friend, I'm gonna punch you in the face. That's the sort of thing that will get people into trouble. The impulsivity, you know, again, making quick decisions without necessarily thinking them through. Um, I think as well, you know, um, our eagerness to people, please, can le lead us to being exploited and groomed slightly easier. I don't want to paint all people with ADHD as, you know, as, as, as vulnerable people. But, you know, there is a very strong evidential basis for this. Um, I will get, let you get a word in edgeways, Carl, bless you. Back in July 2021, there was a report that was commissioned by the government. Uh, it's called Neurodiversity in the Criminal Justice System. Um, you can Google it. It's, it's all there. It was completed by the Inspectorate of Policing, the Inspectorate of Probation and the Inspectorate of Prisons. And there's an overwhelming sort of factual basis for what I'm saying. And one of the key recommendations that was made in that document 77 pages you do not have to read the whole thing but very early on in that document is the recommendations and one of the key ones was screening within the criminal justice system um you know we should probably we should be screening people as they pass through police stations but we should be screening people in prison as well in the hope that they don't turn to uh drugs to self-medicate alcohol to self-medicate and then the you know problems that that leads on to because i would suggest to you that most people who burgle people's houses are doing so to fund a drug habit you know and and you could talk about the cost implications of that but my argument in uh, rebuttal to that would be will you think of the cost implications in terms of the amount of money we'd be saving i mean carl you know the number yeah. how much it costs to keep someone in prison i think it's about 49 grand per place per year in prison think of that Slot. money we're saving um you know per um, person 
and then and then and then the societal um you know uh, implications if i'm got undiagnosed adhd and i'm you know using illegal illegal drugs to uh you know self-medicate and i'm burgling people's houses to fund that well then i'm not going to be burgling people's houses i'm not going to be taking illegal drugs i'm not going to be you know taking overdoses and putting pressure on the nhs i'm not going to be drinking putting pressure on the nhs i'm not going to be smoking putting pressure on the nhs Go on, Carl. Sorry, I, 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 no, I just I go off on a little one there. No, no, it's fine. Just on the subject of the drinking and stuff, because I was now I'd medicated for my ADHD. Um, just to explain the impact on me, and this isn't to push medication because everyone's obviously got the right to choose mm. what 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 they want to do. But my ADHD um, caused me to drink alcohol to find stimulation and and spend money. But since being medicated and supported properly and understanding my brain, I've stopped doing those things that. You know, it's not a magic bullet by any means, but the my my the urge to drink alcohol is gone. I don't binge drink anymore. I don't don't spend money as nowhere near as much as I used to. And then I sat when when that stopped happening, and I stopped thinking about alcohol. I was like, wow, okay. What if I can stop thinking about alcohol? Then so can how many other people out there that are completely, you know, self medicating day in day out. You know, you've only got to look at. Um, there was a statistic, I think it was between 32 and 41% of people that were um, treated with medication for their, for their ADHD did not then re-offend. So once they were treated and supported for their ADHD, they didn't, they didn't um, do the same thing again. And it's like, well, they didn't repeat the crime. And that, that's massive. That's a huge, huge opportunity for us. If we can actually understand why people were in prison, how they got there, um, we could steer them away from a lifetime of crime by just supporting them properly and you know i've got a friend um of my partner that's basically been an alcoholic all their all of their life and their body's absolutely wrecked to the point where their livers you know and their body's going to give up and then they would try diagnose with adhd and now everything makes sense why they were like the way that why all these things have happened in their life you know and i, I can't help but think as i look at people you know, I'm walking on the street. I'm sure a lot of people do it now when they're diagnosed with ADHD. And I'm like, I sit there and I go, maybe that is undiagnosed ADHD that's causing you to be in that state. And if we can understand that, instead of going, you're nicked, get in prison, you're nicked, go back out, get a fine, you're nicked, go back in prison, come back out. I broke the cycle, we could clear prisons out. We could save people's lives. We could save the NHS millions. You mean, Carl gave the example of the person uh, there with, with the alcohol problem. Carl, I don't you I might not have been speaking to the same person I was. Me and Carl did a talk yesterday for the College of um, Paramedics. They kindly had us along, and we were, as always, were approached by people after us. And this girl was telling me a friend of hers had been recently diagnosed, and it explained to that person why yeah. they had a cocaine habit. They literally were like, I've, I realise now that that my cocaine habit has been what I've been self-medicating with. Now, I'm not going to get into the uh, sort of moral question about, you know, illegal drugs and stuff. But, you know, unfortunately, cocaine is an illegal drug. I say unfortunately. Um, it is an illegal mm-hmm. drug, you know, and that will get people into trouble. And we want to avoid that. So don't take this illegal drug. Take this controlled drug that does the same thing. I mean, like Carl said as well, the, the other thing, we're not pushing medication. We, you know, I, uh, we, I, I, some people can't take the medication for ADHD. Mm. And um, But I would argue that even... 
it's the same argument I have when people say I'm too old to go and get me diagnosed. I turn around to them and I say, you're never too old to understand why your brain does the things it does and how it works the way it does. And even that knowledge is life-changing in a massive way and, and being able to go, okay, that's the reason I do that. Because I think a lot of people fall into criminality because they were told they were naughty at school and they were excluded from schooling and put into pupil referral units. And I'm a very firm believer if you tell someone, especially a child, enough that they are naughty and they are bad and they are wrong, they'll eventually start believing it. So the power of diagnosis, even if you're not talking about medication mm. treatment alone, is just, I think it's astronomical. So, um, yeah tangent again there you go but <laughs> no it's so interesting and mm. i can see you know go going back to the the alcohol and self-medicating prior to knowing that you've got adhd or another neurodivergent condition um so relatable you know I, i've been to alcoholics anonymous I, I, and adhd crops up all the time and i suppose they're the lucky ones i suppose that have you know have that it's, awareness it's, yeah, I, I can't and i can't um you know um, emphasize enough though Alex how important and powerful it is for people like you to, to be able to freely say that and Carl as well like the, the level of honesty I'm, I'm fortunate that I've never fallen into addiction I certainly know that I can't control my own money and could quite easily find I think I joked when we met the other day that you know if it wasn't for my wife running our finances I'd probably live under a bridge uh, <laughs> but he, he, so he, 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 I just can't emphasize enough how powerful it is for people to be able to actually say look I have had a problem I can recognize this yeah. is the problems I've had and be, be honest about it so thank you in, yeah. in that respect yeah, thank you no, I mean, I've spoken about it a lot. I mean, it's, it's the reason why I ended up in the back of that police car. I mean, I didn't get arrested, but I was trying to, I was in I was in a hospital because I had drunk myself into an ambulance and I would try to run out the hospital because I desperately wanted more vodka and the police were on the door and they uh, restrained me and put me in the back of the you police car. You can see how that could have led to lashing out, hitting people. The desperation yeah. may have got put you into a car to get to the place and the consequences that could have. Yeah, it's 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 when you can see how it can go I, I mean Carl sort of did briefly touch upon it himself I'm incredibly lucky in my upbringing um and but if I had had a slightly more chaotic upbringing maybe being from a sort of poorer background or a less understanding background I can quite easily understand how my traits would have got me involved in criminality and got me on the wrong the wrong side of the track rather mm. than not and that's pure luck that's pure that's not me being clever or smart or anything like that at all it's just pure postcode lottery luck frankly yeah and I think I think even more so when we look at under diagnosis in women mm. um under diagnosis in ethnic minorities and massive, communities massive. that where it's where it's hard to, where you know people do not understand what what adhd is or neurodiversity that mm. presents its own challenge so we as the police need to you know we need to the things that have happened in the media with the police and how how we need to improve is that we need to understand how these groups of people um how we support them better and and neurodiversity as a whole though neurodiversity is deep enriched in those communities and and we need if we can understand that we will better our relationship improve the trust and subsequently reduce crime you know and that's what's important um 
but we just we're trying to shout that from the rooftops so that people can understand that we're trying to do that change you know make it happen i i i, I want to emphasize again um and i think we touched upon it briefly earlier on change is happening within mm. within society but within it policing it is happening it's just i'm not necessarily sure policing understands the gravity of the stuff you know of the problem it's so you know as i mentioned that that report was published in july 2021 and things are but you know it's slow but it's it's almost maybe it's because me and carl have adhd but we're like come on guys like seriously yeah. it's 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 all there you could please move a bit quicker but uh, you know we're not I'm not naive enough to think that I'm biased around my thoughts on this because it's something that's very personal to me. But it, to me, it's an absolute no-brainer. It's it, I can I can yeah. connect the dots, but I'm. And but you only have to look at the NHS, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. You only have to look at the NHS and the waiting times and the fact that that's so underfunded. And you think, well, if that if the NHS you can't get an appointment within five years in some places, then how is that reflective across all of the public services? Mm. So yeah. With the um, topic of uh, people coming into the, getting arrested, going in, getting into trouble, and then you said that they should, could automatically be screened for neurodiversity for the benefits that you've said. I, you know, I, I agree. I, again, I don't know the data, but if surely if they're in their, if their neurodiversity has got them into trouble, having that awareness is only going to lower the risk of it happening again. And if they can get that assessment yeah. at source, um, then I can see that's a massive benefit financially for the taxpayer as well, you know, down the line because they're not going to get into trouble again. What, what's, what's the resistance to that idea? I think initially it's the stigma still within certain parts of society. Yeah. So we can all sit here as gentlemen who have all got a diagnosis of ADHD and understand it, but we all know because we see it every single day on social media and in newspaper headlines and that sort of stuff, ADHD isn't real you're making excuses all of those things that we all would have gone through prior to being diagnosed I'm trying to think of the correct expression for for it where you don't believe you have the condition Carl help me out else um, that imposter syndrome sort of thing imposter syndrome that imposter syndrome all of those stigmas and things there I think is part of it it's also quite a large piece of work I kind of guess mm. because you're not just relying upon policing you're then I could tell someone they have ADHD tomorrow but I don't can't, can't prescribe them drugs. I can't give them a full diagnostic review. You also would, you know, and when me and Carl, we, we, we do a lot on social media about this and we always see the same sort of comments, don't we, Carl? Oh, why should we mm. let criminals maybe be jumping the queue, you know, for this kind of stuff? And whilst I kind of understand the mindset of that, you wouldn't say that, but we, we, we wouldn't say that about someone who came into custody of an alcohol problem because we put alcohol diversion schemes in place. You wouldn't say that about someone who came into custody with a drug problem because we have drug diversion schemes. And nor, nor should you criticise that because that's helping people to maybe stop them from criminality. And I think this is the great argument about policing and the criminal justice system do we want to punish people or do we want to rehabilitate and help people i joined policing to rehabilitate people punish the worst people in society punish the people that are really harmful yes but let i'd ra much rather see people who are actually in need get help and support rather than lock them in a lock them in a room with no 
no understanding and knowing that when they come out they're going to be straight back onto the same behaviors because they've not actually mm. got the help they need if not sorted it out of source um yeah it's, 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 it's yeah i i i think unfortunately because of certainly where adhd is in relation to 20 25 years ago it was still very much believed that it was just a child's thing mm. and 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 say the press certainly aren't helping us and the bbc thank you bbc didn't necessarily help us with that panorama documentary and the way some of those things came across that 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 it, you know it's almost a societal issue that we're fighting against as well yes. because there's still a lot of people don't don't believe in adhd and they think we're making excuses and do you think it's a political issue as well because if the government gave the green light for spending taxpayers money on screening uh prisoners for and then the opposition might have a field day with that politically yeah. and say yeah spend they're letting prisoners jump the queue when vulnerable people i think i, I think there are. is an element of that i think there is an yeah. element of that i think there's also again me and carl are biased because we have adhd and we work within this world but you know i i, I can't even begin to imagine the other factors the nhs have to consider in terms of money towards cancer treatment mm. cancer diagnosis all these sort of things so i'm not naive enough to think that there aren't other competing you know things for the for the money for the attention as well um we're in a cost of living crisis uh i i, I get it i get it it's just I, I i go back to saying it's almost making people i want people to have the sort of the insight that i have having the condition working with people working with victims of crime, working with people accused of crimes and understanding about people in prison and just joining those dots. We almost need somebody very high up to be able to go, right, actually, this makes sense and let's let's just yeah. do something about it. But I think uh, you're always going to have opposition to everything. And I think, I think the key thing here is, you know, if it's not about prisons, it's about education. And we look at schools and we look at the way we support our children. Mm. If, if we're not going to do it for that, then let's look, if we're not going to do it for prisons then look at where we're going wrong at source here, you know, it is a, it's a huge piece of work, like Daly said, but you look at the impact uh, on children and the fallout, the fact that if we don't support neurodivergent children, then they are potentially going to end up in prison. It, you know, there's, you know, there's stats out there that lead, um, untreated and undiagnosed ADHD leads to less employment, higher suicide rates. But there's so many negative aspects of not supporting ADHD, and you know, and I'm, I'm pretty sure most of these apply to other neurodiverse conditions as well. Is even you know, if you're not supporting someone with dyslexia, they're not going to be able to achieve as well as they can. But when we look at what people with neurodiverse conditions can do. Like, you know, Richard Branson, uh, you know, speaks highly, highly of his dyslexia, dyslexia and the way that it's allowed him to do the things that he can. He, you know, he's proud of it. There's people in the world that are incredibly good and we just need to allow them at source when they're children to give them proper support. You know, it, it, we need to make sure that the schools are educated, the schools are set up to support neurodiverse children so that when they get through their school life, they're able to succeed. So they won't fall by the wayside, be excluded, told you're naughty, your self-esteem goes absolutely through the floor and we wonder why they end up in criminality or they're looking for structure. They've got no structure in their life. Okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to become a drug dealer. Okay, well, that's it. You know, we've lost that child to, to not understanding them when they were a child. you know what I mean? You know, when they're 18, they're out in the big wide world and that's when things go wrong. Um, and we, we desperately need to get a handle on that. Um, because 
we will we are losing generations of children that are incredibly intelligent and very very you know passionate individuals um that that will change this world but we, we we're not we're not equipped to deal with it um so i mean i, yeah. I mentioned mandatory uh, neurodiversity awareness training within the police and the criminal justice system that support group car mentioned earlier on was the first time I ever went to a support group was that very same support group. And the first time I ever went along, the person, the guest speaker was somebody who worked within the education system. And it blew my mind when I was told that neurodiversity awareness training isn't a mandatory part of a teacher's training. Because by the time they get to me and Carl, it's too late. By the time they're in prison, it's well too late. And, and as Carl's touched upon, it's mad to think that we are not, catering for the needs of these kids at school and it even goes beyond the to my mind if anyone was to ask me are you disabled daily i'd say i'm personally not disabled what does disable me is the structures of society because they're geared towards neurotypical people and that's the problem with schooling and education but that's also the problem with the criminal justice system that we've taught or touched upon already it's this neurotypical this is the way things are done for everybody actually no it's not no it's mm. not you improve things for people with ADHD, you will automatically improve things for everyone. Because a lot of people out there will never get to the diagnostic threshold for a ADHD diagnosis, for a dyslexia diagnosis, but they will have traits enough that those little things, adjustments that we could make into these processes, they'd massively benefit from. It just benefits yeah. society. But there you go. I should be stand for election on that kind of uh, speech, shouldn't I? <laughs> so just going back to what you were saying about the prisons, the prison service are uh, bringing in neurodiversity support managers. So that is something that has happened. And I think it happened off the back of that report I mentioned earlier on. But the issue with those is they're there to support neurodiverse traits, but they're not there to diagnose or to point people in the direction of treatment. And to my mind, and I told them this, <laughs> you're missing a trick. Great, we want a society that caters to people's needs. That's fantastic. And, you know, that is a massive leap forward. I, I commend that. But it, to my mind, it's still not getting to the root of the problem. It's still not hitting the nail on the head. That's my own personal thoughts on, mm. on it. But it's wor I thought it's worth giving them a little bit of credit because that is mm. something that is happening. Just putting that awareness in, in people's heads, you know, because even though they might not get a diagnosis, you don't need a diagnosis to make changes and to, and to live right. a happy, happier Abs life. Absolutely. As I said, the day I was told I probably had ADHD by that counselor in 2014 was one of the best days of my life mm. because I knew then and there that I wasn't all of the worst things I thought in my head. Don't get me wrong, I'm still a bit of a numpty sometimes, but, but you know, my own personal opinion of myself was horrific. And I'm still fighting with that now. Yeah. Um, but just that, as I talked about the benefit of being diagnosed earlier on, it's just, I can't, I can't emphasize enough the impact, the positive impact that will have on someone's mindset. And, yeah. you know, when you believe you can do stuff, you're good, you're more inclined to sort of be a benefit to society than you are otherwise, as Carl sort of touched upon earlier on. Yeah. People think it's a label, but it's not. You don't want a label. You just want a bit of understanding of how your head works. Yeah. You know, and just another, just a positive thing to share, like in terms of the work that's being done, we're, we're trying to implement screening for children that come into contact with the police by youth offending teams. So that'll be another area where if a child comes to us, but doesn't necessarily get arrested, but is on the radar as such, you know, like a, a child is offending us or doing things at school that 
comes to the notice of a schools officer. These are points that if we can recognise it at those points, again, that will stop someone getting arrested. So these things are happening. You know, it's hope for parents and hope for, for society as a whole that these children won't just end up continuing to go down that that path. It is probably worth mentioning the screen sort of that your listeners may have seen in the BBC News and mm. other outlets recently that there is going to be a screening pilot starting with the City of London Police. Now, um, that's something directly involved in i'm the trustee of the charity that's running that and had it was the network that me and carl have basically put together that allowed that to happen because it was those that's where those conversations you know took place i spoke to another police force who were interested in doing that yesterday a morning and then you know what was encouraging about these meetings is that you are sitting in a room of people understanding the need it's just as you touched upon earlier on alex it's the political implications of the logistics of actually getting enough people on board and the money and that kind of side of things although from the pilot's perspective the people who are working on that pilot who are, are you know because it's a pilot are willing to do so pretty much for free and um, so you know it, we, we're hoping more people do do uh more forces do sign up and we're able to show the positive benefit of of doing this screening because ideally we'll get a data set to say this person was brought into custody having committed x amount of crimes in x amount of time look they went and got diagnosed they went and got treatment they went and got help and oh look they've stopped they've stopped offending um and i believe i, I firmly believe in the, from the bottom of my heart that is exactly what will happen mm. genuinely so you're just just to, to end on really i mean you're both doing such amazing work and you can probably you know already tangibly see the changes and feel the changes that that's happening as a result of the awareness that you're, you're both doing are you both hopeful for the future in in the as a result of the work you're doing I'll let you answer that on first, Carl. <laughs> I am, yeah. Uh, I, I think, I think what we're seeing through the work that we do, sort of LinkedIn and and how honest we are, I think that needs to continue. We have so many honest and, and frank conversations with people, and that is what's leading to the difference because it's been, you know, the, the past has been so much. You know, we don't speak about things enough. We don't say these things out loud, and why not? Why am I not able to, as a police officer, tell you I've had problems with alcohol and I've had problems with spending and I've got ADHD and that makes me a good police officer as well, but it makes me care and it makes me um, do a good job um, and I can I can work with it now and I also understand the people that we speak to. I, I don't see how understanding neurodiversity as a whole and... and accommodating for it isn't a good thing you know i think we're quite resistant to or some you know the media and, and some people are quite resistant to it or it's it's this thing that oh no it's scary actually no it's a brilliant thing for society to understand and that, that you know we will keep trying to make that change and we are credibly passionate about making sure that our colleagues and and the public our bosses our you know, as many people as possible understand that this is what we're working with here and this is what can make things better. Just give us that chance. So, yeah, I am hopeful in a nutshell. Um, I just think we need a little bit of faith invested in us. You know, trust me, if you want someone to work on a piece of work, it's someone who's got neurodiverse condition because they'll 
smash it out and want to do it the best they can. I'm, I'm, I'm also hopeful. It's encouraging that people are seemingly paying attention and taking notice. And, you know, even in the brief, you know, the year, it's sometimes me and Carl have to pinch ourselves. We set up our support group in February last year. It's insane. Even though progress has been made, we can't rest on our laurels because people's lives are being ruined today, tomorrow. Things are changing, but they need to change quicker. Mm. The people I see on social media every single day advocating and working hard, we need to all keep it up and need to keep it going because it's not gonna, it's not just gonna change if we don't. Mm. We need to force it. And if people are listening to this, thinking, well, what can I do? Write to your MP. Write to your MP. Get, get, get annoy, annoy the hell out of the people that you know to to make these changes. You know, write to your local mm. police commissioner, whatever it might be. You know. As I said, the statistical information is out there. Nothing I'm saying is, you know, is hidden. You Google neurodiversity in the criminal justice system, you will see the stats and the figures and sort of stuff that me and Carl are talking about. And change will come from society demanding action because, to my mind, a lot of this stuff is almost a scandal. Like Carl said already, the NHS waiting time, that's a scandal. That's what the Panorama documentary should have been about what we are seeing within the prisons with people one in four let's just say the government stat is the one one in four people have adhd and we're not doing more to do that that's scandalous that really is so yeah the change will come when people when people push it um again i feel like i'm that's a rallying cry i'm, I'm not trying to be elected honestly guys but yeah <laughs> and first i would just say thank you very much for your time alex um really really yeah. appreciate this opportunity to talk about something that me and carl care deeply about um so thank you no oh, thank thanks, you alex it's really inspiring the work that you're doing and, and keep at it and I will and lots of other people who are making a noise about neurodiversity on social media as you said daily that's the way you know that's one of the ways and absolutely I'll put all of the links to everything that you've mentioned in the show notes um thank you so much for your time thank you thank you Alex and thanks best. Alex thank you planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.